This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. The summer is now in full swing. That is a very good thing. But so are the many ailments associated with the sun and the season. Luckily, our house doctor, Zach Levine, is here to help. We're going to talk about sunburn prevention and also about insect bites and stings, which can cause some very serious diseases like West Nile virus and Lyme disease. And these illnesses can not only be transmitted to us, but also to our pets. So uh, there's a lot of things that we have to know to keep ourselves safe in the summer. Dr. Zach, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Excellent. Uh, We seem to finally have summer, so that's good news. Absolutely, yes. And with summer, of course, comes all the... uh, the issues with respect to summer, and we talked to, we talked about heat illness uh, last time, and that's something to watch out for. But uh, there, there are the other things that you mentioned, and certainly uh, the number one other thing I think, although the infections are very important too, these infections that you mentioned. But I think the next thing on my list would be certainly skin skin protection. I, I think most that people are quite aware of it these days. Uh, I think it's always good to remind everyone to protect the skin. It doesn't have to be with sunscreen. You know, you can use I mean, you can use a broad-rimmed hat. You can use a light clothing that has some UV protection. Just, just something, because as we all know, you know, the too much sun. Not only is it, I mean, I think most of us, our, our main worry with too much sun exposure is skin cancer, but it's also uh, related with other things, including um, cataracts, including skin aging, including, of course, sunburns as well. So now, what do you mean you don't need sunscreen? Oh, you do. <laughs> you do. You, you should use sunscreen in addition to these things. However, if you, uh, I would recommend that people, if you can, now, you know, people aren't usually, uh, on a hot day, we don't usually want to cover up, but if you, uh, something that's become a lot more popular over the past few years are sun shirts. So basically, they're, yep. they're t-shirts that you can swim in that have, uh, they have sun protection value. So they actually, when you buy them, you can see their SPF 30, 40, 50. And, and then you don't have to cover your whole torso in sunscreen. That part of you is actually protected. And the nice thing is, unlike sunscreen, which you do have to reapply every couple of hours, and if you go swimming, even unfortunately, even the, the waterproof sunscreen, you still have to reapply. It's still not 100% waterproof that it will, that it will stay on you. Uh, these sun shirts at least keep there, even if they're wet, even if uh, you, uh, as long as they're on you and you're, you're covered, then that part of your body is protected from the UV yeah, I mean, I, I remember some of the worst burns I've ever got is from being in the water on a very hot day. Absolutely. And actually, so that is the, I mean, that's the real benefit of the, the so-called waterproof sunscreens or sunblocks is that they do have some protection that they stay on you in the water. The, the problem is they do get, eventually they do get washed away, and so you still have to reapply it afterwards, but you're protected more... Uh, by those sunscreens in the water than you are the the regular sunscreens, I, I, I suppose. And, but, yeah. and by the shirt is a really good idea. Yeah, absolutely. And hats and, you know, if anything that you can do to be not in direct sunlight, uh, do it. And then the parts of you that are exposed to direct sunlight, definitely, 
definitely use a sunscreen, something that says, uh, you know, wide, uh, broad-based protection and that has at least 30 SPF is really what you should be uh, aiming for. Okay, Zach, uh, let's give uh, the numbers out, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I'm on the line with Dr. Zach. We're talking about summer. We're talking about uh, how to prevent sunburn and also uh, about insect bites and tick bites and uh, those uh, diseases that are quite serious and that we don't necessarily know that much about Lyme disease and West Nile virus. Zach, what do we have to know about that? Well, so, yeah, I think the good news is that, uh, that at least we're aware of them. I don't think we were in the years, in years past. And Lyme disease has fortunately gotten a lot more, um, a lot more coverage recently, as, as especially, you know, for good or for bad, some celebrities have been... Uh, exposed to it. And the, the good part is that it has uh, increased public awareness. So Lyme disease is, is um, passed on by deer ticks. So t- basically black-legged ticks that, that feed on blood and specifically on deer. And basically the reason it's uh, a concern is that it can be, it, it's a disease that can cause serious effects. It doesn't necessarily uh, and it is quite treatable. But the other problem is that sometimes it's difficult to diagnose because its symptoms can mimic other diseases. So, uh, for example, the, the early symptoms, first, you, uh, the, the most common thing is this rash, this round rash right around the area where you're bitten. And after that, the symptoms are, uh, but you may not see that. And after that, the symptoms are like flu, basically, fatigue, chills, sometimes fever and headache. And, and then if, that, if, if it's untreated, then you move on to a second phase, which is migraines, weakness, uh, arthritis, different so pain in your joints. And then finally, if it still isn't treated, then you can have these chronic symptoms, headache, dizziness, numbness, chronic arthritis. And the problem is if, if we don't think of these things, if we don't think that we may be exposed to them, then we don't, we don't and, and, and even worse, if our doctor doesn't think of these things, if we go to the doctor and they don't think, oh, you know, this person may have been exposed to uh, a tick, a deer tick, then we won't be tested, and then if we're not tested, we won't be treated. You know, without, without making the diagnosis, you'll never get the proper treatment. So more public awareness is a good thing. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Welcome back. I am on the line with our house doctor, Zachary Levine. We're talking about the perils, the pitfalls of the summer. We're talking about insect bites and some of the diseases they transmit, as well as sun protection. And we're going to go right to the phones. We've got Lynn in Burlington. Hi, Lynn. Hello. Hope all is well. Thank you. My question is, I often say I'm dinner for insect bites. Um, Would the doctor suggest either afterbite or calamine lotion to be either or? Uh, Well, you know, Lynn, either one, honestly. I mean, ideally, if there's any way, well, I'm sure you know the way, if if there's a way you can avoid the bites, and that basically means insect repellent containing the the Mm DEET to expose skin, uh, you can spray clothing with repellents containing that as well, and you can, well, if you're in the jungle, you can use mosquito netting. <laughs> uh, but you could uh, repair your screens in your house, that sort of thing. And remember that peak biting times are dawn, dusk, and early evening. And one other thing I would say, this is not related to getting bitten, but uh, with respect to some of the, the, the fact that mosquitoes love standing waters, to, to not, uh, if, you, if you have any standing water, don't uh, try and empty it out so they're not around. 
Okay. So, so they can't multiply. In terms of which one, afterbite versus calamine, honestly, I, I don't have a, uh, I certainly can't say one is better than the other. I think it just depends on your, whatever works better for you, you know, and they're not uh, mutually exclusive either. So you can certainly try, try one, try the other. I'm sure you have. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> see which one works for you. You know, there's no question. Some people, it's not only that some people uh, get bitten more, but we all react differently. You know, the bites, the, the mm-hmm. hives, and the swelling that we get, and the itching, that's, that's uh, somewhat how our body reacts to being bitten. And some people just don't react that strongly, and so they just don't have these big welts. And some people, you know, they get a, even a little bite, and they just get a big, big welt. And sometimes they end up in the hospital, and it looks like a big infection, and that's oh, especially with spider bites. When people get big areas of redness, it can go up to five or ten centimeters. The redness, and it's all a reaction to the bite. It's not an infection. Good so uh, I, I do. Uh, I sympathize with you. At uh, <laughs> try and avoid them if you can. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye for now. Okay. Thanks a lot. Uh, now let's go to uh, Marion in Etobicoke. Hi, Doctor Zach. This is regarding Lyme disease. Yeah. Um, you explain what they do and test it, but I think a very important thing has been forgotten, and this is what concerns me when you have your immune system compromised. It, it, the length of time that it takes to have this tick checked out, I mean, you could almost be dead and buried by that time, and yet dogs can get a shot and they're protected. Are they working on this? in the Department of Health, like now that it's becoming so important and more common? Are you you're talking about the amount of time between when you're exposed and you get the disease, or how long well, it Well, when you're exposed you? and you go to deal with it, and the length of time it takes for the test results to come in. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. So there, there are a lot of delays. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's several delays. And, you know, one, one problem is, well, actually, what, just I'll start with the good. The good thing is if you see a tick on you, like you see it land on you, it takes a good tw- at least 24, usually up to 48 hours, of the tick actually feeding for it to transmit the Lyme disease or the parasite that, that is the Lyme disease. So if you, if you actually see that and you're able to you know, brush the tick off or remove the tick if it's actually have its mouth in, then you're lucky. Another one of the delays is that it, you can, um, after the tick actually transmits it, it can take between 3 and 30 days before you start to display any symptoms. So you may not, even if you had a tick bite several weeks prior, you may not even remember or put it together with the symptoms that you start to experience a month later. But right. the, the, what, you're, what you're mentioning, Marion, is, is absolutely true, and that is, yeah, the delay in uh, getting the diagnosis. So once you've actually been tested, how long it takes in the lab. I, I do think that they are working on it, you know, to, to answer your question. Um, th- I think it depends on the lab, it depends on the urgency, and depends how much the, um, the microbiologist actually pushes for it. Uh, but there certainly, there certainly is a delay, and I, I think it's getting better, and I agree with you. I think with more, uh, the more that they do them, like any test, the more they do them, the more frequently they run the test, the more efficient they become at doing them, and the quicker the turnaround time. Well, but that's encouraging. Still so an unacceptable it's, delay. It's, the reason is not that, like, you know how some tests have to... Um, incubator developer whatever you want to call it and that takes time so that's not the issue is it that it takes a certain amount of time anyway to get the results it's just that if you if the the necessity of getting them quicker 
Yeah, exactly. And they don't. Uh, they have a couple of different tests they do, and one is uh, one they don't even test for the actual um, the uh, what it's called. It's a bacterium spirochete. It's Borrelia burgdorferi. And some, one of the tests they do is actually for the antibodies. So they test to see if you have developed an antibody. So your body has uh, developed a blood cell to fight this infection. Mm-hmm. And that takes a little bit of time as well. So uh, they're actually looking for whether your body has been exposed. And it doesn't give you a clear idea of when, when the actual exposure happened. No. Um, you know, Marion, you mentioned something that uh, it's different when it comes to dogs. So, Zach, I'd like to chime in and ask about... What about pets? Because the pets can get uh, these things as well. And can the pets transmit it to the owners of the pets? Just that's, that's a great question. It's an important question. The answer is no, fortunately. So, so whereas pets can get uh, some of these infections, specifically, so the deer ticks uh, really prefer deer to, uh, to dogs, for example. But even if there are certain infections that, uh, that the dogs can get, but you... But, uh, the good news is the dog can't transmit it. So if the dog is able, and I actually, to be honest with you, I have to check if Lyme is one of them the dog can actually catch. But I do know that Lyme disease, uh, West Nile virus, which is a bit different because it's from a mosquito, but even if, the animal, even if the animal can get the infection, they're not able to transmit it to a human. It really has to be, uh, for Lyme disease, it, it's the tick that transmits it to the human. And right. for West Nile virus, it's a mosquito that transmits it and, to a human. And but how do you know? wrong, Zach, in assuming that you can take your dog to the vet and get a, they get a, I'm not sure if it's a pill or a shot, but it's to prevent the Lyme disease from settling in them. I'm pretty sure you can. You know what, Marion? I really, I don't know. I know that we don't have and a human. And that's the annoying part. But that that's, we uh, humans are so susceptible. Well, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll check that for you, okay. Marion. But we don't Absolutely. we don't know at the moment. Um, okay, thanks for listening. Okay, Bye. thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Okay, we have a few more minutes left, so I'm going to give the numbers again: four one six three six zero zero seven forty or toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. And and Zach, how would a pet owner even? get an inkling that the pet might be infected and and are the symptoms severe in them like what do you have to do yeah exactly i mean obviously it's much more difficult than in a human where they where we complain of specific (laughs) symptoms usually it is behavioral changes in the pet so very very frequently it's diet so their their appetite is much less they eat a lot less they might be much, much more lethargic uh, they may, this is a late symptom, but sometimes it takes that long, is that a weight, a significant weight loss in animals is something that we notice. And sometimes you can actually feel if, if a uh, dog or cat has a high fever, you can actually feel it uh, if you rub an area that is not fur-covered. You can actually feel that they're very, very hot. If you're, if you're used to petting them, you can actually tell a difference. And, uh, and then you just need this index of suspicion. If you're worried about it, then you have to go in and get it checked out. Okay. Uh, another thing that I want to follow up on that you alluded to is that, you know, some people get bitten more than others. I am one of those some people, and it can be maddening. <laughs> Sometimes I'm sitting and I'm, I'm getting eaten to bits, and, and my husband is being completely ignored by these pests. Why is that? Well, there are certain, um, I mean, there are certain things that attract. I mean, and, and the different insects have different things that attract them. Like, for example, uh, um, bright colors are things that attract, or I'm not sure attract is the right word, but things like uh, wasps and hymenoptera tend to be 
uh, tend to notice bright colors more, so they may be more attracted to that. Um, in terms of mosquitoes and flies and that sort of thing, there are certain things uh, on the skin, very, things that we don't really notice, but things like uh, very, very mild scents and uh, temperature of skin that varies a little bit between, between humans. And insects are actually quite attuned to those things. Uh, and they can actually make a distinction. And, and one of the things that happens is they, they can sense, certain people they sense just a little bit more than other people. And, those are, and if there are two people sitting next to each other, they'll gravitate to the person that they sense more as a result of either the scent or the temperature. And it sounds like you're one of the, uh, the lucky ones that they gravitate towards. Okay, isn't that nice? Let's go to <laughs> Ida in Mississauga. Hi, Ida. Hi. This is a very curious one. Um, I heard through his manager that Chris Christopherson had Alzheimer's. Uh, it's then a little... the next thing I knew... Just a minute. I, I, I thought you had a question about Lyme disease. I do. Okay, please I get to it. complete my thought. Please get to it. Okay. Then the next thing I knew, he has Lyme disease and not Alzheimer's. And I don't understand that connection. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a, I don't know, I, I can't tell you, like, what he has uh, specifically, because I don't know, especially with respect to the Alzheimer's disease. There's no, uh, that, what I can say is that, yes, there can be, in late Lyme disease, and this is one of the concerning things, there can be neurological effects. So I mentioned, like, arthritis, headache, dizziness, uh, numbness, paralysis, and even it can have cognitive effects, so basically difficulty uh, with, with your thinking. And, and similarly, actually, just because we were on the topic, uh, West Nile virus is another one that can give you an encephalitis slash um, uh, meningitis, which can affect your thinking. And so I think, that, yeah, they didn't, uh, it, it can happen in some cases where people think there's a dementia going on, mm-hmm. uh, such as Alzheimer's, and actually there's another disease process. And that's, you know, that's a big pitfall for, for us doctors that we have to, yeah. we have to no, be very no careful kidding. not to make a diagnosis. I, I oh, heard yeah. it from a very um, great source. Okay, thanks really? for your call, okay. Ida. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we're going to try to fit one more call in here. We've got Rick in Dunville, and Rick, we only have a few seconds left. Okay, it's a simple question. If you, uh, if you have West Nile virus once, are you immune to it from then on? You should be. You should, yeah, you be, should be, because you should develop uh, your antibodies to it. Now, it's, it's possible, like anything, your, your immunity can decline over True. the years. Yeah. Uh, however, it, you should have some immunity to it. And I do want to mention with West Nile virus, it's worth noting that only about 1 in 200 people who are actually infected, and of course most of us don't get infected even when we're bitten by mosquitoes, only 1 in two or 300 people get sick at all. And the majority of people sort of just get like a flu-like illness. It, it is rare that people have this severe encephalitis well, or meningitis. I hear you because I'm a fisherman and I must get bit thousands of times, and I was wondering yeah. how many times I get, can get West Nile virus. <laughs> No, okay. you I won't hold you up, thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, Zach, that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. Dr. Zachary Levine, thanks so much. Thanks, Libby. Talk to you again. Talk to you again soon. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.